Hi, and welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel, Kuala Lumpur Online. We hope that the following message will be a blessing to you as you seek to walk with the Lord in spirit and in truth. For more information about our church, please visit www.harvestkl.org or click the link in the description below. Good morning, brother and sister and friends of Harvest Bible Chapel. Greetings to you in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks for having me this morning to share God's message with you. Uh, before I begin, let's pray. Lord, as we gather to worship you, we ask that you will open the eyes of our heart that we might hear and understand your glory, seek your glory, and receive the peace that the crisp that Jesus Christ offers to us. So come now, Lord, by your spirit and meet with us. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. The word glory in Hebrew is kavod, which has a simple meaning of heaviness or weight. It is used in everyday speech to express the worth of a person in the material sense or to express the ideas of importance, greatness, honor, splendor, power, and so on. For example, the heavier the gold, the more value and worth it has. Hence, it becomes more important and precious. This Hebrew word cover is used to describe the greatness of the glory or the glory of God in the Old Testament. God is the most glorious being because he is the most substantial, the heaviest or the weightiest being in the entire universe. And therefore, most important, majestic, splendid, and powerful being to ever exist. There is no one higher uh, or weightier than God. His creation cannot rival his glory because they are created by him. They can only reflect and display his glory. It is precisely for this reason that God created human beings in his image so that we can be images of him and reflect and, re and display his glory. And the creations draw his glory from God, his creator. And we are created to reflect and display his glory. Yet Adam and Eve, listen to the lie of the ancient serpent, Satan. They wanted to be like God, knowing good and evil without relying on God for the purpose of their own glory and to rival God. So they disobeyed God by eating the forbidden fruit. It was in your face, act of self-centered rebellion, a quest for autonomy, a desire for self-rule, a court cutting for humanity. They told God, God, I don't need you. I know better than you. I can do it myself. I can govern my own life. As a result, they were separated from God and cast out from the garden. Ever since then, this desire to be God's rival, to be like God has passed into every human heart. From the fall, every human being has been busy, concerned, pursuing their own glory and worth. Every one of us try to build our own worth, our own glory through our performance, possessions, or popularity. We look to the things of this world and our own effort instead to God for our glory and worth. 
driven by selfish desire and greed to be good or great, hence to build their own glory, everyone looks to their own interests. As a result, we make a mess of this world. Broken relationship, corruption, injustice, betrayal diseases, man-made disasters, violence, and so on. And now we can't possibly understand our world because we have been disconnected from the one who gives it. God, in his grace, doesn't give up on us. Before the traitors have been exiled, he determines the way of redemption. Right after the rebellion of Adam and Eve, God announced that he was not only going to judge the sin, but he was also going to defeat it forever. His grace of salvation is revealed in the midst of judgment. God promised Adam and Eve that one day, a woman's descendant, a woman's seed, will come to redeem his people and defeat sin and evil. Who is the offspring that God was talking about? And to know today, and we know that promise is the son of God, the son of man, Jesus Nazareth, the Messiah, God's gift of salvation to mankind. Today's passage, Luke chapter 2, verse 8 to 20, is the fulfillment of God's promised salvation in Genesis 3.15. God in his grace sent his son to earth so that through the life, death, and resurrection of his son, we can be restored and reconciled to him. And this passage described to us how God's gift of salvation came to earth, how he is revealed to us, and how we should respond to this gift and what happens when we receive this gift of God. Luke chapter 2, verse 1 to 7, recorded for us the quiet arrival of Jesus. Luke tells us that Mary and Joseph live in the region of Galilee, north of Jerusalem in a small village of Nazareth. Nazareth was not a well-known place at all and not even mentioned in the Old Testament. In those days, it was overrun by Gentiles and Roman soldiers. Mary and Joseph were there until Caesar Augustus issued his decrees, calling everyone to return to their hometown for a census. Joseph, being from the line of David, needed to return to Bethlehem. But Joseph wasn't about to leave Mary alone in Nazareth, so the two of them packed up and headed south for Bethlehem. It was a long journey, at least three days, probably more, and the timing couldn't be worse with Mary's full term. And to make matter worse, Bethlehem was, stand, was standing room only with visitors because of the census. When they got there, no room was available for them in any inn. They found shelter in what was most likely a stable for farms animals. And don't be fooled by the cute nativity scene. And this wasn't a pretty sight. As they entered the stable, the smell of urine might have knocked them off their feet. And instead of laying on a soft bed of hay of which there was little in Palestine, Mary might have lying down on a bed of manure. And Luke painted the birth of the birth scene, which was which he most likely heard from Mary years later. It was very quiet that night. God's son quietly came into this world, silently. The single greatest moment in history took place, and God, the Creator, stepped on the scene of history as creatures in Jesus Christ. No one was 
taking notice. The night, however, didn't stay quiet. Listen to Luke chapter 2, verse 8 to 9. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. The shepherds were nearby, and they were out at night tendering their flocks. Suddenly, as if a star had burst, glorious light overpowered the night. An angel of the Lord stepped forth as the shepherds were freaking out, despite his reassuring word. And here, the message of God's gift of salvation is first revealed to the most unlikely people, the shepherds. Shepherds were despised by the so-called good, respectable people of the day. They were on par with tax collectors. They were considered untrustworthy. They were banned from witnessing in a court. The only people lower than shepherds at the time in Jewish history were lepers. In brief, shepherds were worthless people. God didn't send the angels to king, aristocrate, religious leaders, philosophers, or social elites. He sent them to shepherds, the outsiders, the unclean people. The angels didn't appear to the first century VIP. They came to the least significant, the least respected, and the least likely people. And this reminds us that God comes to the needy, come to those who are poor in spirit. God comes only to those who sense their need. He comes to those who recognize they can't make up for their sin. He doesn't come to the self-sufficient, self-reliant. And the message of Christ is that God's kingdom is for broken sinners, not perfect sins, for those who recognize they are sinners in need of God's gift of salvation. The gospel is for those who know they need Jesus. And remember Jesus' own word. He said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Yet I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. And this is the upside down nature of God's kingdom. God's gift of salvation is not for the righteous elite, but for sinners in need of Savior, for you and me. Our problem is that we don't often see it that way. We are blind to our own sin. And we tend to be more irritated by those uh, uh, people who are, who, who are worse than us. We are you know, more irritated by and more concerned about other people's sins than our own. Because we are blind to our own sin, we tend to see our neighbors as bigger sinners than we are. And we felt and we fall into comparing ourselves to another person. We almost always conclude that we are more righteous than he is or she is. And when we conclude that we are more righteous, we minimize our own need for grace. Spiritual comparison put us in a great spiritual danger. It blinds us to our true conditions and weakness weakens our resolve to seek and celebrate God's grace and his gift of salvation. And we need to cry out to God to deliver us from this tendency. The truth is that we are all sinners. We are all in the same desperate situation. None of us is better than any other. None of us is more righteous. None of us is more deserving. None of us has anything to point to that will recommend us or that will commend us to God. 
We all need to be rescued from the dark rebellion of our heart. Only the amazing, forgiving, rescuing, and transforming grace of Jesus Christ can deliver us from our sin. And this is why Jesus was sent to us. Unless you recognize that, unless you recognize that, you would appreciate, celebrate, or receive the gift of God's salvation. God's gift of salvation is for sinners. Next, God's gift of salvation dispel fear and bring joy. As the angel appeared to the shepherds, Luke said they were terrified. And this was because the glory of the Lord's presence overwhelmed them. Look at verse 9. It says, the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. I'm pretty sure none of us like being woken suddenly from sleep. I, for one, don't like being surprised and woken in the middle of deep sleep. Just imagine that you're suddenly awakened by a spotlight. Freaking out is definite possibility. I can't imagine how terrified and this moment must have been for those shepherds. Luke said they were filled with great fear and the glory of God shone around them. And it must have been a very glorious and shiny light to a point that they couldn't even open their eyes. You see, the purer, the weightier the gold, the brighter the gold. And God is the highest and glorious being. Of course, his glory is the most glorious. And it is perfectly normal. They were struck with great fear. Now, there is a sense in which they were perfectly right to be scared. These are sinful men like you and me, guilty in the sight of God. Now, the glory of God Almighty surrounds them. And perhaps the thought of judgment, they crossed their mind. And they felt like the prophet Isaiah. Remember the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. He saw the Lord high and lifted up the train of his rope, filled the temple. And Isaiah fell down and said, Ooh, to me, I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips and I'm living among people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the Lord, the God Almighty. And the shepherds were terrified as the glory of the holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty surrounds them. And it's like a huge spotlight shining us, revealing all our wrinkles, all our sins, wrinkles with no way to hide. And all our sins are being exposed in the presence of God. And it is a terrifying experience. Can you just imagine that? All your sins being exposed. You have no way to hide. You will be terrified too. And that's exactly what our sins do when we are brought into God's presence. Our sin condemns us. But notice the message of the angel. The angel declared to them in verse 10 and 11, say, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is a Messiah, the Lord. They didn't have to be afraid because today the Lord didn't come to judge them. The Lord didn't come to judge the world, but sent his Son as a Savior for all people. He can save because he, the Messiah, incarnated as man, 
He is taking on our nature, our being, though without sin. And as a real man, he became a perfect surrogate for us so that he can take our sins upon himself, become sin for us, and die among, uh, die an atoning death for us. And as Peter explained, he himself bore our sin in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And we can live to righteousness because of his perfect records, his perfect righteousness credited to us. Therefore, we are able to live out the righteousness of God. And the child born of the virgin will be condemned in our place. And therefore, there is no condemnation for those who trust him. As we begin to ponder, let this truth sing into your heart. If you let it sing into your heart, you ignite joy, gratefulness, and joyfulness are the response because your sin has been forgiven by Christ, forgiven in Christ. Sin and death have lost their hold because Christ has secured your eternity with, with God. And not only that, because you are completely accepted by God in Christ through His good work, not on your own effort, or not based on what other people say about, say about you, but entirely based on what Christ has done for you. And you can be secure in Him, and you'll be you'll be free from fear of rejection and failure. And they they will have no this kind of fear of rejection, failure, or what other people think about you will have no hold on you because when you understand God's love for you, that you are completely accepted by Him because of what Christ has done for you on the cross. And this is why the angels say this is the good news. They will dispel fear and bring joy to all people. After telling the shepherds the great, the glad tidings, the good news, the birth of a savior, the angel told them where they could find him. He said, it was true. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger. As the shepherds, Puzzle over the angel's word. Suddenly, an angelic host appeared, praising God as if millions of them had been hiding right behind the heaven's door. And once they heard the word Savior, Messiah, Lord, they could not hold back any longer. They burst out in a spontaneous praise and joy, say, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. And I think every one of God's angels were there because it was the most amazing event that had ever happened. Ever. Because God stepped into history, into human history. And when and it was something so amazing. So when they lifted up their voice to God, it was in cosmic surround sound. It was a short song, but the lyrics spoke volumes. The substance of this song, of this praise, is instructive. It was first upward as a glorified God in the highest heaven. And then it was outward as it pronounced on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Peace, wholeness, shalom, well-being for those who have been favored by God's grace. And in brief, the angels were declaring that this gift of God, Savior, the Messiah, Jesus, came to bring glory to God and peace for the world. And the Christmas passage of this passage is really about the glory of God and peace to men and women to faith in Christ Jesus. 
in a word that say to God, my will be done, glory to me. Peace constantly eluded. Why? You see, as I seek to establish my own worth, my own glory, through my own performance, my possessions, created things can only leave me anxious, discontent, and restless. If I seek peace to the things in this world, peace will elude me. If I seek my own glory to the things in this world, peace will elude me. I'll be anxious. Why? Because I am only hardwired for God's glory. I'm not wired to seek my own glory by the glory of God. I'm wired like all creation to display and reflect the glory of God. And when I, when I miss my primary purpose, everything goes amiss and peace cannot be found. Jesus was born to say to God, being in our human nature, thy will be done. And when the nails were pounded into his hand and feet and the thorns punctured his brow and his peace was utterly shattered, but it was all for the glory of God and peace to man. Jesus surrendered his peace in pursuit of God's glory and he won peace for us all. Are you so wrapped up in the pursuit of your own glory that nothing else matters? Let me say this. If that's the case, only a shadow peace can come from that pursuit. There is peace with God and peace from God for you in Christ Jesus this Christmas. Yet you will find paradoxically when you give up the pursuit of your own glory, praise and reputation. When you seek to fulfill your own horizon, when you cease, when you stop, to fulfill your own horizon and you will turn your eyes to, Christ, to Jesus Christ instead and you will learn to sing with the angels, glory to God in the highest and then peace will come to you. Jesus came to liberate us from addictions to glories that will never satisfy our heart. He came to free us from our bondage to our own glory and our obsession with the things in this created world we think will give us glory. He willingly, willingly died for glory tips like you and me so that we could have peace with God, find satisfaction in God and live in service to God's glory. Anyone who received this glorious gift of God will be restored and have worth because the Son of God not only bear his or her sins, but also give his righteousness to him or her. Be, and then they will be adopted as child of God, child, children of God, children of the Most High. In brief, anyone who has room in his or her heart for this glorious gift of God will be able to reflect and display God's glory. And this is the amazing grace of God. How should we respond to this amazing gift of God? Verses 15 to 20 show how to respond to this gift. 
After the angels departed, the shepherds might have stood there in stunned silence. What do we do now? Well, what are we waiting for? Let's go to Bethlehem to check it out. There was no delay, no debate, no procrastination. And unlike the children's, you know, some, you know, some of the children video portray, some of them have to come out and sleep on the decisions and they knew what they have seen and heard. So they say, let's go and see for ourselves. They probe, they check it out. So off they went, and sure enough, they found a baby boy wrapped in clothes, lying in the fifth trough. And Mary and Joseph did finally have visitors to share the joy over their newborn with a few smelly shepherds. Mary, for one, treasured that. Treasured that. And she pondered over it what, over it, what it all meant. She pondered it. If you are hearing Jesus' birth for the first time, or you have never really paid close attention to the message of the Christmas, like the one here in Luke Gospel, let me encourage you to take some time to probe, to, to think about it, to seriously check it out, ponder over it. Don't dismiss, dismiss it too quickly. Though she heard it from the shepherds, Mary pondered over it. And she treasured After they found what the angel said was true, the shepherds immediately spread the words to others. They proclaimed. They were not preachers. They were not missionaries. But that didn't matter. They heard something. They seen something. Good news for everyone. So they went and proclaimed. Of all people, the angel of the Lord had revealed this Good news to them, and what an honor, what a privilege. And eventually, they headed back to their ship. But they were different. They went back, giving glory to God and praising Him for all they have heard and seen. They praise. They praise and give thanks to God. They give glory to God. The shepherds may not have fully understood the significance of this gift of God. Maybe they will understand later, perhaps after seeing hundreds and hundreds of lambs bound and slaughtered for sacrifice each year, they will come to see that this bound baby in a manger was the Lamb of God that come to take away the sin of the world. Nevertheless, just because the angel revealed this Good news to them, these glad tidings to them. They were so honored and excited and so eager to tell others and give praise and thanks to God. You see, when you know that you don't deserve grace, when you know that you don't deserve this gift of God, yet God calls you and gives it to you. And when you accept that all you have been looking for in this life is found in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Lord, when you begin to understand that, you will be changed. You'll be eager to praise God and go and proclaim this great news to the people around you. Everything you did in the past was for your own glory, but now you're doing it for the glory of God because now you know that your work has been restored. 
Now you can do it for the glory of God. You don't have to kick path of your worth anymore because it's been restored by Christ. You can do this to God, to serve Him, love Him for who He is instead of using Him to accomplish, to achieve your own glory, your reputation, your work. You can do it joyfully. And as you're doing it, you're displaying God's glory. As you, and, and, and peace will come to you. Your peace index will go up. May this Christmas, you truly understand the significance of this gift of God, Jesus Christ. May you have room for him. May you have room to keep, cherish, and treasure him. And as you continue to do so, your life will be different. You'll be able to display his glory more and more, and your peace index will gradually go up. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this gift of a Savior, Lord Jesus. We thank you that in Jesus, there's peace for us in our uncertainty world. We are grateful that through him, we have peace with God, the peace of forgiveness and acceptance and love. Grant that everyone of us here and where we are may know that peace that peace this Christmas as we trust in Jesus Christ who is himself is our peace and help us to ponder the peace he offers and proclaim him, his glory and peace to those around us in this Christmas season. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.